Luke 12. Last week, Jesus is eating at the house of a Pharisee, intentionally does not wash his hands in order to see what's in this guy's heart. It's a ceremonial washing, not a hygienic washing. And Jesus wants to see, how's this guy going to respond if I don't follow some rules that he thinks are pretty important? And uh, the guy's amazed. And Jesus then just really goes after the Pharisees. Six woes. Woe is you're in danger from God. And the two big headings, you're in danger from God because you're focused on externals instead of internals. And you're in danger from God because you misunderstand the message of God. And you're piling this misunderstanding on the people you're supposed to be helping, the people you're supposed to be leading. So we're going to look at the last two verses of chapter 11 just to set the stage, kind of the atmosphere for what we're going to look at today. Just a few verses in chapter 12. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he may say. So they're fiercely besieging, trying to trap him. So that's the picture. No longer are they a neutral party. No longer are they this disinterested group trying to figure out who Jesus is and where he's fitting in the overall work of what God is doing. They've decided he's an enemy and we need to get rid of him. So they're trying to find some stuff that he would say that they could then use against him. They're not just trying to make him look foolish in front of the crowds. They're trying to find something that they can use against him to get him, uh, to shut him down, at a minimum to get him arrested. So that's the background. So uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear and the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So huge crowds, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are following Jesus to some level. doesn't mean that they love him. It doesn't mean that they're serving him. It just means they're interested in him. So on one hand, we have religious leaders who've written him off and decided he's an enemy of God. And then we have thousands and thousands and thousands of other people who are at least still on some level curious about who he is. And so that's the setting. And Jesus then talks to his disciples, the twelve, in the hearing of all of these crowds. There's probably more than just the twelve disciples. He's probably speaking to however many hundreds have said, yes, we're in. Uh, there's at least 72 of them. Those are the ones he sent out on a mission trip. There's more than that, most likely. But you have these broad, this broader crowd. And what Jesus is saying is, here's what it looks like to follow me in a hostile situation. So now you've got the religious leaders who are trying to trap him in order to, to arrest him. And Jesus says to the 12, to the broader group who's following him, to this broader, broadest group who's interested in him, here's what it looks like to follow me 
in a hostile situation. We're going to look at three. I'm going to call them words, instructions, encouragements, um, warnings that Jesus gives. Here's how you handle a hostile situation as someone who follows Jesus. The first word, the first instruction is be on your guard. Your Bible may say watch out. Be on your guard. Watch out for the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Be on your guard. Watch out for the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees. Which is hypocrisy. So first question is, what is hypocrisy? It's, uh, it's mask wearing. Easiest way to see it. It's a word from the theater. Putting on a mask. It's that what's inside of you is not being, it's not coming out of you. What people see, your words and your actions, is not a true reflection of your heart. According to Proverbs, our heart is the wellspring of life. We should be living out of our hearts. The Pharisees weren't doing that. The Pharisees were, they were pretending. They were mask wearers. The mask that they wore was righteous, holy, rule follower, love God, love people. But what was in their heart was selfish for me, for my influence, for my position, for money. And so what Jesus says is you've got to watch out for that. I don't I want what's in you to be to come out of you. That's living with integrity. That's being genuine and authentic. Don't wear a mask. And he uses yeast or leaven because it doesn't take much to affect an entire lump of dough. Just a little bit of yeast can affect an entire lump of dough. And it works subtly or secretively. You can't see it. It's working on the inside. You can see the effects of it, but you don't actually see it working. And so what Jesus is saying is hypocrisy is the same way. It doesn't take much to pollute your whole heart. And the it works subtly or secretively. You may not even notice. So you're in a hostile situation. And maybe the easiest thing to do is to put on a mask. You're in a situation, you're in an environment where that's not conducive to your relationship with me. This is Jesus talking. So you're in an environment, a situation, where being allied with Jesus is not necessarily in your best interest. Very easy in those moments to put up a mask then what's in you, this relationship with Jesus, is not actually being conveyed. And that's subtle. And you may think, it's it's just for now. I'll fix it later. God will forgive me. He will. Those types of things. And what Jesus is saying is don't underestimate the subtlety and how little of that it takes to actually pollute your whole heart. And then he says the whole idea of hypocrisy is really, it's silly. It's It's ridiculous. It's folly because everything is going to be exposed anyway. Everything you whisper is going to be shouted. Everything you've done in secret is going to be put on display. So this idea that you can actually hide your heart is is ridiculous. It's wrong. You can't do it. It's a fallacy. Your heart is eventually going to be exposed. Maybe not until you're dead and you're standing before Jesus. Usually it happens much earlier than that. And then he jumps into this second word. And don't be afraid of anybody but me. Or don't be afraid of anybody but God, he says. You don't need to worry about anybody who can just affect you physically. If you're going to be afraid of somebody, you'd be afraid of God because he can actually destroy your soul. He can send you to hell. Nobody else can do that. And so I get it. These situations can be intimidating. You can be scared. You can think of all of the consequences for being associated with me. But I don't want you to worry about those things. I don't want those things to be the driver in your decision making. Don't allow your fear of what somebody can do to you to cause you to put up a mask. Don't do that. And even if you're in a very difficult situation, don't take that to mean that God is not 
that, that you're on the wrong side with God, that God's forgotten about you, that he's unable to help you. He knows. He knows when sparrows die and you're worth a whole lot more than that. So he knows. He knows what's going on. He's got the number of hairs on your head figured out. He knows how many head hairs that you have. He cares. He cares. He cares for you and he knows what's going on in your life. So don't allow the fact that you're in trouble because of your association with me to tempt you to put on this mask. You fear God, which means revere him, stand in awe of him, not run away from him. Don't be afraid of anyone else. And there's this transition. Be, be honest is what he says. You need to be honest about your relationship with me. Don't deny me in front of people or else I may deny you in front of my father. Don't do that. Acknowledge me in front of people and I'll acknowledge you in front of my father. I hear that and maybe you hear that as well and go, Ugh. there have been some times where maybe I haven't done that so well. Maybe I've been tempted to put on a mask and step back a little bit from our relationship with Jesus because it's just easier. The, the crowd that I was in or the situation, the circumstances, it was easier to be a bit of a chameleon than it was to really be authentic and genuine in terms of Jesus' role in my life and my commitment to him. And so does that mean I'm out because I denied him in front of men at some point? Does that mean he's going to deny me in front of the Father? I don't think so. Peter, same word, disown, deny. It's the same word that Matthew, Mark, and Luke use talking about Peter's denials. So Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, three times. He did it. And Peter was fully restored, not just a relationship with Jesus, but to leadership in the church. He wrote two of the books in the New Testament. So it's not a one and done type deal. There's grace there because he says any word spoken against me, he's the son of man. Any word spoken against me, those can all be forgiven. You repent of those things and you can be forgiven for those things. And so I think that the idea there is if you're consistently denying Jesus in front of people, then you've got a problem. And over time, if you consistently and persistently do that, there's question over whether you've got any relationship with him at that point. And so that I think he's, Jesus is speaking more over the course of your life. If you're denying me in front of people, I, it very well could be the case that I deny you in front of my father because we don't have a relationship if you've continued to say time after time after time after time after time after time after time that we don't have a relationship, then I guess you're right. We don't. And so that's, I think, what's going on there. But again, there's always this grace that's extended. But if you repent, there's forgiveness available. That's the story of Peter for us. But there is one sin that you can't be forgiven of. It's the unforgivable sin. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is that? I think if you look at Mark and Luke and Matthew, all three of them have this passage in it. I think the idea of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin, is to attribute to Satan work that the Holy Spirit has done through Jesus. We said the stuff that Jesus does, he does empowered by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do because he's God. He doesn't work miracles because he's God. He doesn't die and he's not raised again because he's God. All those things are done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we continue to attribute to the devil the things that the Holy Spirit is doing through Jesus, that is unforgivable. Why? Because we don't recognize the forgiver. 
We don't recognize the Savior. If you don't, if you don't acknowledge the Savior, well, that's an unforgivable sin. If you don't acknowledge the forgiver, well, that is unforgivable because you've turned away from the only person who can forgive you. You've walked away from the only person who can save you. So it's not that there's this special category of sin, and this is the only thing for which there is no grace. It's this sin that you've cut yourself off from grace because you've cut yourself off from the channel of that grace to you. That is Jesus. If you don't, if we don't recognize the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus as the work of God through him, if we either say, well, that's the devil's work through him, that's what the religious leaders of the day were saying. Now nobody says that. They just say, well, he never existed or he didn't really do those things or those things don't matter. If you persistently say those things about the work of God, well, there is no hope for you just because the hope for you, you've rejected. You've walked away from the hope that God has offered to you. And then he closes with this third word. And he says, when you're in jail, don't worry about it. You don't need to worry about what you're going to say. If you're in trouble with the religious authorities, that's a synagogue. If you're in trouble with the secular authorities, these powers and authorities, you don't worry about that. In the moment, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say you're not alone. So in a hostile situation, watch out for hypocrisy. There's going to be a lot of temptation when the chips are down for you to put on a mask and for you to step away from me. Don't do that. You don't be afraid of what people can do to you. If you're going to be afraid of anybody, you fear the Lord because he's the only one who can ultimately affect your eternal destiny. You be honest and authentic about your relationship with me and recognize that in those moments, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is going to give you words to say. So what does that look like for us? We don't live in a place. There's about 200 million people today all around the world who are persecuted for their faith. That their faith is not inconvenient. They are physically um, in physical distress because of their faith. They're arrested. They're beaten. Some of them are killed. They lose their property. That type of thing. There's another 400 million who are discriminated against. We're not in that group. We may be inconvenienced at times, but we're not. We're neither discriminated against nor persecuted. And so we read this, we may say, eh. It's not us, unless I'm going to move to a different part of the world or things radically change in the U.S. I don't see how this applies. But the word that two words jumped out at me as I read this. One was hypocrisy and the other's fear. Neither one of them are pleasant to talk about. So this is going to get a little heavy. So stay with me. We'll end up here, but we got to go down before we're going to end up here. So just stay with me. This idea of hypocrisy, I think it's a temptation for us. You've got kind of the classic version of that, which is someone who uh, maybe steps away. There's multiple ways this plays out. One would be stepping away from your relationship with Jesus, depending on the circumstances, that kind of chameleon deal that some people do. And and there may be some of you who struggle with that. You may have uh, your family. You may have a friend group. Maybe your work is hostile to Jesus. And so when you're in those environments, maybe you keep your mouth closed a little more. Maybe you kind of go along to get along. If that's you, then I'm assuming you most likely feel convicted about that. And I would just say confess and repent and ask God for grace to live with integrity in those circumstances. He can show you how to be shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove. He can show you how to navigate through those waters in a way that doesn't compromise your relationship with him, in a way that you're not denying your relationship with him. But what I was thinking particularly here 
where we live in Marietta, maybe even in broader Cobb County, I think there's a huge temptation to put on a mask. That word hypocrisy is nasty. I don't, Christian or not, I don't know anybody that is looking for that label. Yes, I'm a hypocrite. Nobody does that. It's not good on, in any group. But I do think where we live, there's a lot of temptation to put on a mask. And so that's really my question for you this morning. When, where are you tempted to put a mask on? When are you tempted to hide what's actually going on in your heart? I, call, I thought of a couple of masks. You may think of others. There's a happy face and a strong face. So the happy face says it's all good. Happy face is not willing to disclose difficult circumstances. Everything is always great. Or at a minimum, everything's always good. That strong face, Spock, is different. That's an unwillingness to express personal weakness. And they're not the same. They can go hand in hand. People who are unwilling to discuss difficult circumstances are often unwilling to disclose personal weaknesses as well. But there are folks who are more than willing to tell you everything that's going wrong in their life. But then when you say, well, how is that affecting you? What do they say? I got it. I'm fine. I got it. It's not a big deal. That's the strong part of them. We live in a society where those masks are encouraged. You don't show weakness and you absolutely don't let anybody know if everything is not great. Weakness is it's blood in the water and we are swimming with sharks. And so the last thing we're going to do is let people know areas where we're struggling personally. And for many of us, we don't even want to let people know areas where our circumstances are less than ideal. Because then it seems like we don't have everything together. And if we don't have everything together, then there must be something wrong with us because it looks like you have everything together. You might be wearing a mask as well, but I don't know that. And so there's a lot of temptation where we live to put on one of those two masks. If that's you, what you're doing is you're cutting yourself off from the grace of God. The grace of God, one of the primary ways God works in our life is through other people. We talk all the time about the importance of life-giving relationships. Relationships that are transparent, people can see into you, vulnerable, people can speak into you, and intentional. You're actually pursuing these relationships. If, you, if you're wearing a mask, then it doesn't matter how good your friends are, they can't be the grace of God to you because you're not letting them. You're not letting them. You're not, you're not showing them this is what's actually going on, so now I'm going to allow you to be the grace of God to me, to either physically, tangibly help me, or to encourage me by what you would say. It's a difficult way to live. doesn't mean you're not a Christian at all. I don't think it puts your salvation in jeopardy. It just makes your life miserable. Because one of the primary ways God wants to minister to you and to encourage you, you've said, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to pretend. I'm going to wear a mask instead of being real and giving people an opportunity to love me. My encouragement, if you're tempted to do this, and we all are on some level, but for some of us it's more difficult to resist than others. If you're tempted to do this, find two. Let's start with two. Friends. People with a different last name than you. Find two. And share. And this is what some of us wait for. We wait for this magic moment in the relationship where there's music in the background. And then I know it's okay for me to be vulnerable to Brad. That never happens. It's always awkward. You're going to stammer and you're going to stutter 
and then you're always going to say this. I said too much. That's what you're going to say. I said too much. That's that's how all of that works. We are not used to letting people in. Most of us aren't. Most of us, we're not good at that. We're used to keeping everything very close to the vest. And we keep, again, I think there's, it's this kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy where we don't share and then it becomes more difficult to share and we don't share. And no, at some point, you've got to take a risk of vulnerability and say, I'm just going to, we're going to talk about this. Like there's never a good point in a conversation to say, I struggle with pornography. That never comes up in normal conversation. It's going to be awkward when you say that. But you need to, at some point, be willing to say that. At some point, I've got to be willing to say, I've been, I'm frustrated with this or that. If you're struggling as a parent or as a spouse or as an employee, that can feel difficult to share those things. But my encouragement to you, again, is to find two or three, start with two, it's easier, and begin to share with them. This next one, way different. No offense to him. That was just a picture that I found. I was on the dead. I was on a deadline. Holy face. Won't discuss sinful behavior. Those other things, not discussing difficult circumstances, not discussing personal weakness will make your life miserable. Doesn't necessarily put you in jeopardy. This puts you in jeopardy in a whole different way. And this is where it gets heavy. This is a whole different ball game of hiding. Somebody came up to me after the first service and said, it's like sin is a bomb and Satan has this remote trigger. And what many of us hope is that he just doesn't depress the trigger. When it goes off, it will impact everyone who you're close to. That's just part of being in relationship. God has the tools to disarm the bomb, but it takes a lot of trust to let him do that. And what most of us are used to is, is kind of damage control. Let's manage the circumstances. Let me evacuate as many people as I can. And let me hope maybe I can figure out how to diffuse it without having to bring God into the mix. Or absolutely without having to bring other people into the mix. That's a good picture. So if there's an unwillingness for you to share areas where you're struggling spiritually, sinful behavior, again, law of the universe If it's hidden, it will be exposed. If it's done in secret, it will be proclaimed. This is one of the few places where the agenda of Satan and the agenda of God are the same. Another one was the crucifixion. The enemy wanted Jesus dead and the father wanted Jesus dead for two very different reasons. But they both wanted him dead. The enemy wanted him dead because he thought he could kill him and thwart God's plan. The father wanted him dead because he knew that was the key to forgiveness of sins and the possibility for us to be reconciled to him. But they had the same agenda, different motivations. The enemy wants your secrets to be exposed. And he wants them to be exposed at the time and in the way that will cause maximum damage to the maximum number of people. He wants to devastate you and everybody who's connected to you. He steals and kills and destroys. And that's the guy who has his finger on the trigger. And many of us roll the dice with him. The father who loves you immeasurably also wants what's done in secret to be exposed. Not to humiliate you, not to embarrass you, and not to devastate you, but to set you free. 
He wants you to live a life of freedom and wholeness. And the only way for that to happen is for you to confess first to him to be forgiven and then confess to two or three others or let's just say one other to start with to be healed. That's it. That's the way. Those are his tools for disarming the bomb. Confession to him and confession to one or two others. That That's how he wants to disarm that bomb of sin in your life. And for many of us, the prospect of bringing anybody in on that type of a level is so embarrassing and strikes so much fear in our heart. We're willing to give this guy whose expressed purpose in life is to cause as much damage as he possibly can. We're willing to say, you just hold on to the trigger and cross our fingers and hopefully you won't push it. It's ridiculous. Law of the universe. It will come out. Question. Who do you want it? Who do you want driving that? The devil or God? Who do you want leading the way in what's done in secret coming out? Because it will come out. That's not a threat. It's not to manipulate you. Again, that's just clear. It's a law of the universe. That's what happens. And again, and the Lord wants it. God is absolutely committed to the development and the maturation of your character. He wants you and me to become as much like Jesus as possible before we die. And he will trade our character for our comfort all day long. All day long, he will pick character over comfort. And so... He is relentless in his pursuit of those things. Only bad things grow in the dark. And so he will do everything he can to pull what's dark out into the light. Not to ruin your life, but to give you life. To set you free. Sin always takes more than we want it to take. It it always becomes bigger. It never shrinks on its own. It's like a cancer. We've got to cut it out. Again, that's, I don't want you to hear that as a threat. I don't want you to hear that as manipulation. I want you to hear that as an offer from God to step into the light, to step into grace. And the way that he set that up is said, confess to me and I'll forgive you. Confess again. Let's just start with one. Confess to one other person so that you can be healed. Why is that necessary? Why do I actually have to bring somebody else in? We're created for community. Another reason is at the root of a lot of sin is pride. And me having to tell you that undercuts pride all the time. Pride, not just pride as arrogance, but pride as independence. And me having to say to you, I struggle with this. That undercuts all of that. It also breaks the power of shame, which the enemy will use to manipulate you moving forward. So I want to strongly encourage you. If you wear a mask when it comes to behaviors, you need to find somebody who you can tell. You confess to the Lord, and then you need to confess to someone else. And you may say, it's going to embarrass me. To confess to somebody that I have I lust after a coworker, it will embarrass you more to have to confess to somebody that you've cheated on your spouse. It may embarrass you that you drink a little bit too much every now and again. It will embarrass you more when we see your picture in the paper because you've gotten a DUI. It will. That's the way it goes. The enemy wants to destroy you. And anything he can do to facilitate that, that's what he's about. So, again, I don't want you to be scared. I want you to hear this as an opportunity to say before the Lord, I'm confessing to you 
and then you show me who's safe. Jesus says in Matthew, don't put your pearls before pigs. Some people, they don't need to know. They don't need to know. You don't need a microphone to, to confess this stuff. There are a lot of people who, whatever you say, they will use against you. So living with integrity doesn't mean everybody knows everything. Living with integrity means there are no masks. I may not share with you because you're not safe. I may not share with you because I don't trust you. But it's not, I'm not putting up a mask. I just may not talk to you about those things. And that's okay for you to make those determinations. There's just got to be somebody who you are talking to about all of those things. And if they live in California, it's going to be difficult. Very easy to put on a mask on the telephone. Very easy to put on a mask when you see somebody every four to six weeks. I would encourage you to ask the Lord for somebody here who is in your daily life. They don't even have to be your best friend. Just someone who you spiritually trust, who you can say, hey, I'm wrestling with this. Someone who you trust and you can say, I'm taking off my happy face for you. I'm taking off my strong face for you. I'm taking off my holy face for you. We're going to close with communion. And I want you to, again, see communion as a very tangible, material expression of God's grace. When you come forward and break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice, I want you to recognize, feel, taste, touch. This is the extension of God's grace. He's saying, I've already taken care of it. The shackles are broken. We just sang that. Whatever it is, it's already been covered. All you have to do is receive the payment for that. The debt is already paid. The check has already been cashed. All you have to do is receive it. You don't need to try to clean yourself up. You don't need to try to justify. You don't need to try to excuse. You don't need to try to minimize. All you need to do is confess and receive. Let's pray. God, my prayer, this is a heavy word, is uh, the tendency there maybe is to wallow a little bit. And I don't want us to do that. God, I want us to hear this invitation of grace from our students all the way up to our senior citizens. God, my desire is all of us would live lives of integrity. That none of us would put up a mask. And it is tempting to do so. Some of you are thinking, the time that I was the most honest, I got burned. And I'm not doing it again. Some of you, in your heart, you said, I'll never do that again. And that's a curse. And you need to repent. You were made to live in community. Don't cut yourself off because of what someone else did. God, my prayer for us, again, I'm thinking of our students over here who are in high school and having to navigate those waters and there are sharks there. And what does it look like for them to live with integrity, to not be people who wear masks? What does it look like for our singles? So many of whom are navigating the dating world. What does it look like to not put on a mask? What does it look like for these young parents to be willing to be honest and say, sometimes I want to just leave. I'm tired of the screaming. I want to walk out the door. What does it look like for uh, those of us who have parents with middle schoolers and high schoolers? To say, we don't know what we're doing. 
to not wear a mask. For those who are empty nesters, what is it for them to live with integrity? To say, I don't know. I might, I'm not sure I made the right choice 30 years ago. I'm wondering what all this was for. God, there are people who are struggling with areas of sinfulness. They've kept hidden even for years. My desire is not to embarrass anyone, and it's not yours either. But God, I pray that there be a strong call from you to grace today, to freedom today. That idea of every shackle coming undone. God, I pray that we would walk in the freedom that you purchased for us. And as we take communion, it would seal in our hearts, yes, freedom is real. And I can live in it. So you can pray along with me. I'm going to go first, not because any of you need a microphone, but just hopefully to create an atmosphere where you're comfortable in your own heart responding to the Lord. So God, I I confess, and I want to encourage you to ask the Lord where you need to confess. God, I confess that for me, I feel a temptation to wear a mask spiritually. I can put on a holy mask because it's my job and I'm supposed to know all the answers. And I can put on a strong mask because, again, a lot of it is tied to my work. That's not an excuse, but I can feel like I've got to hold it together. And people are looking at me to chart a course and lead the way. And I can say, who wants to follow someone? may not know where he's going. And I want to encourage you all in your own heart, you just confess it. That simply, is it a happy mask? Is it a strong mask? Is it a holy mask? You may be on the other side and you may be one who denies Jesus in public. Because you're embarrassed or you're afraid. Confess that to him as well. And then hear his words. Anyone who confesses their sin to me. I'm faithful and just and I forgive those sins. And I cleanse of all unrighteousness. And so in your heart, receive his grace for that. And say in your heart, Lord, I want to receive that grace. I confess my hypocrisy in these areas and I'm asking you for grace and for strength to live with integrity. To be authentic and genuine. I absolutely don't want to cast my pearls before pigs. But show me what it looks like to be a man or to be a woman of integrity. For the things that are in my heart to be expressed in my words and my actions. Not in a self-righteous way. Not in a judgmental way. Not in an overwrought emotional way, but just honest. And God, I confess that there are going to be times where I'm tempted to put on a mask again. Just pray this in your own heart. and Maybe you already know what those times are. And I pray that you would help me in those moments 
to choose authenticity, to choose integrity over hypocrisy. I don't want any more masks. I pray that you protect my heart and my mind. I know the enemy will come at me. He'll tell me it's never going to be better. He's going to say, I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to get through this. I'm always going to struggle with this. I want to say here this morning, all of those things are lies. And I want to stand firmly on the reality that you're stronger than all of that stuff. And that freedom and that wholeness and that restoration is not just possible. God, it's, it's actual for us. So help us as we come forward for communion. I pray you do a work. We've, many of us have taken communion hundreds of times. God, would you do a work in our heart today? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have ministry teams here up in the corner. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. But I would say particularly if you've got this mask issue, let us pray with you. And this is all you need to say. Which of the three you struggle with? And you don't need to go into any detail. I'm not asking you to confess to a stranger up here in front of everybody. But you can just say, I'm tempted with the happy mask or whatever. And they're just going to pray very simply for you that you'll live with integrity in that area of your life. That's it. And then um, let's, and then we'll just go back to our seats. I think probably the most respectful thing to do would be take communion. If you want prayer, get prayer. Then come back and sit. And then Bo will dismiss us after everyone's had a chance to take communion. And our ministry teams will stay here after that dismissal in case any of you want prayer for that. And also, just for instruction's sake, we have gluten-free communion here if anybody would like that. So um, I'm going to pray again real briefly, and then Kim will walk everybody through um, communion. God, we do thank you for the body and the blood of your son Jesus, and we thank you for everything that that broken body and that that shed blood means for us. And I pray for every man and woman and boy and girl in this room that every benefit of Jesus' death and resurrection would be received into our life, that we would not leave one thing on the table. In Jesus' name, amen.